Scarif Control, this is TK-226. Come in, Scarif Control. Scarif Control. Well, this is TK-226. Ah, you think what I'm thinking? Yeah, looks like they're talking Star Wars again. Attention Garrison, this is Alex here. Thanks for tuning in to the Scarif Podcast. As you've been able to tell from our Twitter activity, we have decided to honor the maker during the month of October. We're dubbing it hashtag George Lucas Appreciation Month. We have some great episodes coming your way with the help of some contributors like Rob from Jedi Temple Archives. He sent us an audio clip where he talks about Lucas's incredible world building. Our bestie, Ollie Kay, gave us his unique take on the Star Wars Special Editions. He compares George to Meatloaf. You kinda had to be there, but you'll hear it soon enough. Our good friends, Andrew and Marisha, talk about George and give us their take on the man as a creative mind. October will be bringing you so many good things from the Scarif Podcast. We'll also be announcing details of our live podcast event in November. So stay tuned and save the date November 17th. If you are a Chicago local, or you can steal an Imperial shuttlecraft, head to the Windy City and please stop by and say hello. We would love to meet you. November is a big month for the Scarif Podcast. Now, let's get this episode started, shall we? As you know, Roe was inspired by the groundbreaking VFX artists at ILM when he was just a young nerd. Earlier this week, he had an amazing opportunity to speak with Yoshi and David, two ILM senior artists currently working on The Rise of Skywalker and The Mandalorian. As you can imagine, it's crunch time for both of them, as we are just a few short months away from the release of both projects. They took the time to speak with Roe about George Lucas, Star Wars visual effects, and their experience working on the beloved franchise as their dreams came true. I can only imagine how excited Roe was while talking with them. Let's take a listen to this awesome interview as the Scarif Podcast talks to Industrial Light and Magic. What's up, Scuttle Buddies? This is Ro. I've got a very special treat for you guys here in uh, our series 
Hashtag the legacy of George Lucas, and uh, I'm going to sound like a broken record. Uh, as you know, George Lucas is a big inspiration for me from a career standpoint, and uh, I was very, very inspired by all those fine uh, men and women behind the scenes back in 19, back in the 70s, uh, creating this world out of nothing. And I've got a very special treat for you guys, uh, talking about people from behind the scenes of a Star Wars. Uh, we've got uh, Yoshi and David uh, working for ILM and uh, working on uh, stuff for Star Wars. And you guys are some behind-the-scenes guys. You guys are part of the whole crew that inspired me. How are you guys? Good. Great, Good. man. Awesome. Glad to – this is actually, if I can be honest, uh, first podcast. Really? Yeah. Well, we'd love to have you guys on, uh, you know, uh, from time to time. Uh, again, like I said, uh, you know, folks like you are, are a big inspiration. And obviously, you were, you guys were inspired by the same thing that I was inspired. And now you guys are the man, uh, collectively speaking. And uh, tell us a little, uh, <laughs> tell us a little yeah, bit we're about just, we're just regular guys, regular guys, right? Tell us a little bit about your um, your career path and uh, how you guys went about that. I see some pictures of you guys playing around in with Photoshop uh, back in the day. Tell us a little bit about all that. Yeah, I, I actually met David here. My name is Yoshi Vu, by the way. Uh, currently, I'm a senior artist for The Mandalorian and Star Wars Episode Nine, uh, along with my friend David Espinoza here. I met him in high school, right? Or freshman year of high school, and we bonded over our love of Star Wars. And David uh, actually worked at a comic book store. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, just just because he wanted to collect Star Wars cards, if I remember correctly. But anyway, I'll let him tell you about that. But um, we both, you know, mess around trying to make our own Star Wars fan films in high school, and we we learned Photoshop and put lightsabers in our hands and all that, and we're like, yeah, we're gonna work on Star Wars one day, and lo and behold, it happened. But uh, a little bit about me: uh, I started out in visual effects around 2010 or 11, if I remember correctly. My first film was Journey to the Mysterious Island and uh, Green Lantern, actually. I didn't write it. I just worked there. Anyways, um, so I actually worked on both of those along with David here. He brought me in, and uh, shortly after, I worked on a few different things. I went into video games and all that. I worked on Black Ops 3, uh, The Walking Dead. I actually worked on The Orville, a few other things you may have heard of, but... I ended up here at Lucasfilm with my friend David, and I'll let him introduce himself. It's awesome. <laughs> awesome. It's kind of interesting. I always, before I you know, just go too far, I always have to say, like, they always say, like, be careful because the things you seek are also seeking you as well. And I, I, I can't express how true I believe that saying is. Um, That's really deep, David. I will. Well, I'll tell you my story. Like, like the force. <laughs> I'll tell you my story. Uh, so my name is David Espinoza. I, uh, yeah, I've uh, been friends with Yoshi since uh, high school. In fact, the first, it was also stars, but he's also an amazing artist. That's, I think it was our love of drawing and stuff like that obviously got us together. But uh, just to give you some preface, uh, one of my first jobs was uh, at a comic book store when I was 14 years old. And it was all legal. I got the permits and everything. Um, but it was because I used to really, I was hardcore collecting the uh, Star Wars CCG game. Okay. I don't know if anyone remembers that, but I, I was hardcore. And I think the thing that I loved about it was um, 
you know, I was always a Star Wars fan back then. But that's yeah, you got to remember though, but back like during like the early '90s, there was no it, it. It wasn't like it was a pop culture thing, but a lot of people considered Star Wars to be oh, it's just those cool weird old movies on VHS. There was no like going to you know Forever Twenty One and seeing a Darth Vader shirt. You know, <laughs> yeah, like that was the thing. You would never you know. There was no Star Wars Legos, which is what everybody wanted when they were kids. But um, it was back during those days. So, like, I would find people like, oh, you like Star Wars, too? Oh, you like Star Wars? Oh, good. No, cool. Like that. So I got started uh, working in a comic book store because I collected Star Wars cards. And I kept showing up all the time. And they're just like, why don't you just get a permit and just start sweeping the floors or something? So I did. And then I would spend all my money on Star Wars stuff because I'm a 14-year-old, 15-year-old kid. Like, why not, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, Eventually, you know, met Yoshi. We became good friends. Um, we ended up going to the same college together at different times, but same college. And uh, one of my first official jobs uh, after leaving college was working for a company called Obsidian Entertainment. And the first game that I worked on was Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2, which blew my mind. I was like, what? Oh, my gosh, because I love the first game. And they're like, yeah, we're hiring interns. And wow. so I was hired as a character artist intern for that and that was cool just to kind of see that aspect of it and I, I don't mean to cut you off but uh you go to this guy's website or google it he painted a pretty iconic picture of uh darth nihilus it was like loading screens they're like little baby i, I didn't concept it that was about done by another uh, awesome artist named uh, brian menzi but uh no i i did a couple promotional loading screens and stuff like that but um, that was kind of my first, like, oh, wow, like, you know, you can you can actually do this. And eventually went into film, worked on some stuff, and then the opportunity came to work at Lucasfilm. And uh, uh, I came here and became a uh, – started off as – oh, it was lead senior. Kind of – they like to change their, their roles up a bit. Um, and, yeah, I was able to work on Rogue One solo, and now Yoshi and I are both working on uh, uh, Rise of Skywalker now. You know, speaking of inspiration, I know you guys are uh, entrenched in uh, in Star Wars. Uh, getting uh, to maybe like your first day at at the new job, was there a moment where you guys just kind of like stepped back and took a a look, you know, from a wide lens perspective and said, "Holy crap, I'm here." I'll say this, and, and it's a it's a weird feeling to shake. And ironically, we were just talking about it like yesterday. Uh, for me, it's still to this day hard to accept that I'm here, let alone the things that I've done in my career. Because every day that I come into work, I'm surrounded by such talented and skilled people yes, sure. like this guy right here. And every day I feel like, how did I talk myself into this? One of these days they're going to figure out that I don't really belong here. <laughs> I'm going to get <laughs> You know, and that's the thing. And it's like, Every time I'm assigned a task, it's like, holy crap, how am I going to do this? That is a monumental task. And I get it done and I turn it in. I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to hate it. And they're like, great job. You did great. Final. <laughs> Send it in. That's awesome. Show, show, show the director. He loves it. Yeah. And it's like, uh, well, they're still going to figure it out eventually that I don't <laughs> belong here. I, uh, I don't know. <laughs> that's great. My, I guess my my uh, experience is very similar. Um, so right now we're working in the Singapore studio. I started off um, kind of training uh, in the San Francisco office, and wow, I, I, I wow, that that was a mind blower. That place 
is a museum, like, like a nerd museum. Like you go in and there's a hallway with like Vigo, the Carpathians painting the actual one. Yeah. Full size on the wall. Han Solo and Carbonite. Han Solo, the actual Han Solo and Carbonite. I touched it. Next to like the little maquettes for the, the, the little droids from batteries not included. Yeah. Then you go down the hall. I go use the bathroom and then there's like one of the actual miniature animatronic models of the T-Rex from the original Jurassic Park. Wasn't there like, the, um, like, the, the, was it, the, what is his name? The guy from Roger Rabbit that, uh, Christopher, oh, uh, Christopher she, uh Doom, Doom. Yeah, uh, Doom. His, his flattened, yep. mo- like, model, the physical oh, yeah. thing was there from doors and I'm like, holy crap. And you're just sitting here and you're like, this is a part of like cinematic history. Like, you guys made this stuff. Yeah. You're walking in the halls. Original matte paint, glass matte paintings from ET, and I'm like, this is crazy. Like this is, and you know, you see, you know, older people, and they, they handle it well. But you're like, dude, I'm just like, I just want to nerd out over everything. Were you just looking at the matte paintings from like Willow? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh like, wow, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, we heard a lot of the. That's the great part. Also, working at the company is that you have access to this stuff. And at any point, you just message them like, "Hey, is there anyone that could go over to like the, you know, the 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 Lucas archives and like, you know, go take photos of this original prop from this Star Wars movie?" And not only that, they'll do that. They'll ask you the angles and everything, and boom, there you go. There's a there there it is, and there's your reference. And it's like, wow, like how can you, how can you beat that? Um, That's awesome. I, one of my experiences there, which I thought was interesting, was that uh, I was when I was first, it was like maybe my second week there. I was uh, coming back from lunch, quick lunch, because you don't want to take a lunch there. You're just like, oh my gosh, like I have to, I have so much to, to show. I'm so nervous, you know. I'm coming back from lunch, and I hear some people behind me walking, and um, I just open the door for them. You know, just, I don't, I don't even think about it. It's just like, oh, I leave the door, I hold the door open for them, and it's Dennis Murin. Oh my and I'm like, god! What? I just held the door open for Dennis Murin, and like he's, he's like, oh, thanks, and they just kept walking and they're talking and they're talking, and I'm like, Dennis Murin is right in front of me right now how did I what what is going on here like this is crazy that is so surreal um, and that that is so amazing and obviously Dennis Murin is is one of those behind the scenes guys that that I you know have been talking about uh, who has who's inspired a lot of people me included that's amazing Hey there, Ro, Alex, and Brad. This is Rob from the Jedi Temple Archives podcast, and I just wanted to take a quick moment to express my appreciation for George Lucas and what he's done in the creation of the Star Wars universe. Uh, Certainly, this is something that a lot of fans may not realize was very close to not happening any number of times through the process of him creating the first film. And, you know, then even uh, with the rest of the original trilogy, he was constantly taking his his profits from the previous films and rolling those back into you know, kind of rolling the dice again. So he certainly got a, a certain connection to Han Solo in the sense that he truly was a gambler. He was gambling on his vision. Uh, he certainly was a, a world builder, um, which is, I think, one of the reasons why he always had felt a close connection to Walt Disney uh, in the sense that they were both world builders. So uh, once he had established that world within the original Star Wars film, uh, he clearly loved going back into that galaxy that he'd created and crafting additional stories and kind of expanding things. 
Uh, and it's really the reason that we're all here talking about this today. So uh, certainly an incredible man, an incredible uh, visionary, an incredible creator of content. And uh, I still, you know, get just as much enjoyment out of the Star Wars universe today as I did when I was a child. And I'm looking forward to years more of that to come. So thanks again, fellow Scuttle Buddies. I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. Thanks for having me on and may the force be with you always. Thank the maker. So, uh, you know, you guys were talking about uh, special effects and things like that. uh, You know, I'll I'll throw a couple of questions out here for you and we can talk about uh, uh, it is George Lucas Appreciation Month. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you guys, um, is there a certain... Uh, like shot or or a particular thing that you guys worked on uh, either individually or together that that uh, you guys are really proud of or is there like one particular thing technically that you guys are like oh wow this is so awesome I can't believe it turned out this way uh, I'll say this it's 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 not really I can't believe I, I worked on this so much as a, a stressful situation that turned into a compliment slash more stress. And David can tell you all about this. It was for the Mandalorian. I can't say too much about it, obviously, but I was assigned a shot. That was a curveball for you. Yeah, it was a curveball. So the, super, anyone, the really. supervisor came over and says, hey, we have a shot for you to handle. And we have no reference, no onset photography, nothing. You have zip to work off of. And I tried to tell them this, so, but they don't want to give you anything or they don't have anything for you to work off of. So we need you to make this shot happen. And it's, and what do they call it? They call it the impossible shot. Yeah. They said, uh, this shot is basically impossible because we have no reference and it's all imaginary. You have no CG models, nothing. And I said, so what am I supposed to do? And he goes, I I don't know, but whatever you make, (laughs) I'll just let them know. I'll back you up and I'll get, I give the supervisor credit for this. He said, I'll back you up and let them know that, you had nothing to work with. So what I ended up doing was basically going back to our roots and matte painting. I digitally painted the entire scene mm-hmm. by hand mm-hmm. Wow! because there was nothing else I could do. I don't yeah. think they were expecting you to do that. Yeah, they yeah. weren't expecting me to do that. And the supervisor came out like, <clears throat> and started giving me notes on the shot. Yeah. I'm like, what, what do you mean? Why are you giving me notes on this and giving me crap? Because <laughs> not crap, but why are you giving me notes? Because you said you'd back me up on whatever I could turn in. And it was the best compliment slash stressful statement I ever heard. Is he said, "Well, we didn't think this shot was possible, but obviously you have the skill set for it. Mm-hmm. So why don't you adjust this here and change that a little bit there?" And I remember I looked over at David, and he just kind of smiled at me, and I'm like, "What the hell, man?" <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Well, it's like you opened up you opened up Pandora's box. But yeah, but that's, that's that's why they hired you. Yeah, that's yeah. Point. Very, it's, and, and yeah, and that's when you know, obviously, one of the best supervisors I've worked with. He told me he's like, you know what? I know you you have you feel like we're gonna figure you out. And you have a what do they call it? Imposter syndrome or whatever. Yeah. And he said, I I hope this shows you that everyone that you think is so skilled here is here for a reason, mm-hmm. and so are you. Yeah. And yeah. it was probably one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. 
That's fantastic. David, how about you? I'll be honest. Uh, one of the things that, that to me, it's probably one of the most proud things that I am. And it is, it's a, uh, it was a, uh, one of the TIE fighter hangar bays uh, in Rogue One. Uh, specifically, it was one, the one on the planet Edu when they're doing the bombing run to, to you know, for Jin's father, they're trying to assassinate him. Right. Um, essentially, there was a there was a scene where the uh, the X wings and the Y wings come in and they're bombing the platform. But as they're bombing by, they kind of zoom in on this uh, Tie Fighter hangar bay that's kind of in this enclave, like in this little hole. And then the Tie Fighters just start launching in after them. And I, uh, I remember, um, I think they showed me like a, a small concept art. It was pretty, pretty vague. But I remember thinking to myself the first time, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the first time we're going to see a TIE fighter hangar bay in a film that isn't attached to a Star Destroyer or anything. Oh, or, yeah. Screw that. This is the first time we're ever going to see TIE fighters launch. Right. Like in any of the, in the, in the original trilogy, you never see that. So I was just like, Oh gosh, and then on top of it, it was like this kind of takes place during the classic Empire, you know, time, you know, timeline. And I'm like, I know that architecture like the back of my hand, man. Like I, I can close my eyes and I can tell you what like an Imperial strut, what a hangar bay looks like. That and they just basically wrote me a blank check and they're like, just make it. Wow. It's like, oh gosh, this is crazy. So I, I just went to town. Like, you know, I took some motifs from like, you know, we've only seen like the Star Destroyer and the Death Star hangar bays, but like they kind of have like a certain motif. So I try to add a little bit of that to there, a little bit of Death Star floor. And granted, we don't go in there, but I modeled everything. Um, I remember I even uh, started to model out the uh, the control room that overlooks the hangar bay, basing it off of the one from uh, A New Hope where, you know, they spot that the TK-421, why aren't you at your post? Right. I was like, yeah. we have to, uh, have to put that in there. I just went to town on that thing, and um, I remember a couple times like uh, there was a similar shot on something else, and some uh, I got a note asking to have the light blink, 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 or something. I'm like, no, that's not what it does. Like if you look at Empire Strikes Back and you look at Return of the Jedi, you can see that the light they don't blink that fast. They have a, a specific pattern, and they're like, yeah, let's do that. Roll that into it. So it was crazy being able to use all this this knowledge to like just just make it and like it 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 was it was fun that's one of that's one of the greatest things that I think uh, you know when uh, when I talk to folks like you, uh, not that I do that all the time, but uh, when I talk to artists like that, just the the amount of detail that goes into th- uh, thinking about this stuff that was created out of nothing, the the technology, the uh, the world building that George Lucas has established, and that you guys are are continuing to. Um, you know, to work on just the information that you just gave me about the blinking lights. I mean, you know, anybody else is like, yeah, just make it blink. But the fact that you guys are fans of Star Wars and the fact that you have that knowledge and are able to, uh, you know, to offer that up is is just amazing and it's incredible and it uh, it's it's one of the things that makes Star Wars so amazing. Uh, the the consistency of that technology based on the the people behind the scenes that that love this universe so much that that George has created. No, it, it's and I mean, can't really speak about it right now. But like, I can tell you, like every day, Yoshi and I are like referring to each other, like, 
hey, uh, yeah, can I ask you a question uh, about this or about that? And we're like pulling up our knowledge or like um, we have a little bookshelf where we sit that just has tons of Star Wars reference books and constantly are just riffing from them. We have, uh, they, in fact, they, they encourage it. Um, they have all the movies accessible right there at any second so that you can reference it because that, that's, that's kind of the blueprint. Like that's right. kind of what it is. And like, you, you really, you can't stray from that, nor does anybody want to stray from that. I, I, I could tell you like the names of droids, the planets they're from, the type right. of weapons, the vehicles, the build. But I always just thought that's, I'm never going to use that. Yeah. And then suddenly <laughs> we're having shot reviews from other artists and I'm getting a phone call at my desk. And I'm like, uh, I didn't have a shot to review. They're like, can you come to the review room right now? I'm like, okay. I'll go in there. And I'm like, why do they want me in there? And then suddenly they're like, what's the name of this blaster? And what would the HUD be? And I'm like, wow. oh, oh, that's a that's an E11 blaster. Uh, right. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, use it. And it has this scope. There's this long-range barrel configuration. And like, okay, thank you. You can go back to your desk now. I'm like, that's fantastic. You guys just told me to ask me this question. Yeah. They're like, yeah. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, that's awesome. That's, that's so really cool. cool. Obviously, I don't know nearly as much as this guy. You know a good um, amount, though. You know yeah, good and, you know and, uh, yeah, we were quizzing each other. We were just recently, the last <laughs> week, we were, we were giving each other Star Wars quiz questions. But, you know, I had an artist come up to me recently, and it has, I, I don't want to say too much about what the environment I'm working on is, but um, they were asking me, like, oh, can we put this, this, and this here? And I'm like, no, that doesn't make sense within the context of the universe. Uh, that's never been that way, and it, it wouldn't make sense, blah, blah, blah. And like, are you sure? And I'm like, well, if you don't believe me, ask. <laughs> like, you know, and, and it's it's um, it, it comes down to like, for example, they said, well, the director might say, we want something iconic here that Star Wars fans will recognize. I know like, what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, there's nothing you could put there that makes sense because in the context of the story, it wouldn't be there. So I had to, <laughs> Oh my God. My brain is like racing my, right now. Yeah. I had to scroll through like my star Wars knowledge and be like, the only thing that could remotely make sense is this object. And only Eagle eyed fans would be like, yes, that makes sense that that would be there. And they went, okay, go ahead, make it and put it in there. And I did. And I went through reviews and I'm like, love it. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. That's awesome you know? that you guys are almost like, uh, like uh, you know, holocrons of knowledge uh, to be able to, you know, add uh, add a consistency of the universe. You know, you guys are fans growing up and now you're there and it's almost like uh, I don't want to use the term gatekeeper because sometimes it has, uh, you know, kind of a goofy uh, connotation. But uh, it uh, it is it, it's fantastic. And I think. You know, a lot of people like myself that uh, look at these movies, I can still watch Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and still see different things in it. Maybe things that I didn't catch or things, you know, as I grow older, things that are uh, that, that I see in the films, uh, even from back then, that maybe I interpret in a different way. And uh, I still see those films. Every time I see them, I catch something new. And it's... it's uh, it's lasted the, the the test of time, and that's one of the reasons I love the original trilogy so much because they uh, they're structured in that way, and uh, it, it's fantastic. And uh, speaking of uh, shots, I've got a buddy of mine who is a 3D artist here in Chicago. Um, we do a lot of uh, commercial and broadcast stuff, 
And uh, he wanted me to ask you guys, and obviously this is relative uh, depending on the shot, but he wants me, um, uh, Ryan Duff, 3D Duff on Twitter, he wants me to ask you guys how long uh, from start to finish does one shot take or one sequence? And obviously it depends on the amount of work that's being done, but what's kind of like an average? That is a, that is a loaded question. You're talking anywhere from like a day to like six months. It, it, yeah. It's not even an answerable question because – each shot entails so many different things. So let's say, let's say, let's use the original trilogy as an example. And let's imagine that they were made today using CG or whatever. And you go, one shot is Luke in his cockpit in the X-Wing talking to R2. Mm-hmm. What would that take? Uh, you do that in a few days. And they go, oh, what's this shot? This shot is the shuttlecraft landing in the Death Star 2 hangar bay. That is significantly more involved than Luke in his cockpit. Right. You know, so that's that's a tough question to answer. And I'll let David respond too. As no, well. no, I, I agree with you on that. Um I, I guess uh one of once again, one of the one of the things that I've kind of learned uh just not just not just at uh ILM Lucasfilm, but pretty much every studio that I've ever worked at is that usually the shots, the first shots that come in the door that they think are gonna leave are usually the last ones to leave the building because they, you know, they generally will try to pick a shot that will guide a lot of other shots. So they always, I always call it like the uh, the guiding star. Like if we can get the look of this shot nailed, then everybody else has a look to follow and we'll do that. But because that shot is guiding so many other shots, it tends to kind of go through a lot more hoops uh, than normal. Um, it, it, it generally it, it just depends on how many other uh, you know is there how do they film the plates? Is there plates? If not, is it a full CG shot? All right, cool. Um, what just okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, but just just for the people listening that don't know what plates are. Oh, sorry, yeah. um, sorry, sorry. Yeah, plates are the raw footage that they shoot on set. So whatever footage, whether there's green screen behind it or whatever, whatever comes directly from the camera is the plate. The plate is the raw footage without any effects added to it yet. So that, that's what he's talking about. Old school plates. photography term where they actually used to develop film like on physical plates. Right. But uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, also, yeah. If I ever if I say something like that, it's like, what, what is this guy talking about? Uh, no, and that's um, funny. <laughs> that, that goes right over my head because I knew what you were talking about. But uh, yeah, the. the a lot of uh, yeah, thank you. Reg- re- re- regular yeah. folks don't. Sorry, sorry. It's like it's day to day. Exactly. Um, but uh, generally speaking, uh, you know, you, it all depends uh, uh, specifically on if there's already an established look. So I'd say if there's an established look that's kind of ready to go, you're just kind of like working it out for the shot. It can go anywhere from a couple weeks to maybe sometimes two to three months. And the thing that I still find amazing is you put all that effort in for a shot that's maybe two seconds long sometimes. Sure. So yeah. it's it's really, you know, it's really hit or miss. Yeah. Uh, just to use an example, I, I don't want to use another Star Wars example, but I worked on a movie called Beautiful Creatures. And uh, there was a library set that they built. And long story short, they tore the set down because they thought they were done. And it turns out they wanted more shots in that library, but the set's already torn down. Oh yeah. So me and a few other artists had to go in to all the footage and digitally 
rebuild the set, every book, every pen, every chair, exactly as it was. And it took forever. Yeah. Just to get everything to line up. And it's it's like a five second shot in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 real it's really subjective on the, the needs of the shot, really. Um, and I guess what the creative expectation is of whoever is approving those uh, those changes and or those additions to the shot. But I'd, if I had to give an answer as an average, uh, I, I know this is going to sound kind of vague, but you know it is kind of a you know a loaded, little bit of a loaded question. Sure. Um, where to from like you know you can go from two weeks to like a couple months. Yeah. Just depending on the scope scale of the shot. No, definitely. And, you know, uh, coming from a production standpoint, uh, you know, we get asked uh, questions like that all the time. Like, uh, if we go and produce a TV spot, well, how much does it cost for a spot? Well, it depends on what you need. Uh, So, yeah, totally, totally understand. And uh, speaking of shots, uh, so I got a a question for you. Uh, You guys uh, can answer or decide not to. How many lens flares did you have to put in when Palpatine comes in through the portal with Ezra to meet with Luke? That's awesome. That's awesome. Hey there, fellow scuttle buddies. This is Ollie K and my good pal R2D2. That's right, R2. We're talking the legacy of George Lucas and, and what he means to us. Now, you got to admit, George Lucas was an amazing visionary who had a great idea. But if anyone who's ever read the uh, the Star Wars, uh, the comic book adaptation from his original screenplay, you can realize it's pretty clunky. And sometimes he needed to fix up his stories a little bit. But I did like the original look of Darth Vader. It was very samurai-like, more so than the actual Darth Vader uh, armor that, that uh, Anakin wears in the movies. Anyways, I think George Lucas is an amazing visionary, but sometimes needs to be wrangled in just a little bit. Now, in my personal life, I'm a, I'm a chef, and I can make a meatloaf. And the reason why I make meatloaf is because it's cheap and it's inexpensive. Now, imagine George Lucas was to make said same meatloaf. Doesn't have a lot of money, but meatloaf is great. A lot of people love meatloaf, so he, he can make crafts this amazing meatloaf, invites his friends and family over, they all eat it, and they're like, George, this is the best meatloaf I've ever had, absolutely fantastic. Him then thinking, you know what? I'm going to invite my friends over in a couple weeks, and I'm going to prove on this meatloaf. Now, he basically added a little bit of THX, uh, a little bit of Dolby, improved the color a little bit by adding some mushrooms and some gravy to said meatloaf. Most people didn't complain about that. Most star- true Star Wars fans actually didn't. And then they invite friends over for a third time, and then suddenly he puts in walnuts and chocolate chips and a little bit of salsa making this really weird mishmash of a meatloaf that some people probably don't like. His friends and his family look at him and go, George, what the heck's wrong with this meatloaf? Give us the original meatloaf. And he's all, no, I'm not going to give you this original meatloaf. I want to have this meatloaf done my way. Heck, if you guys are going to eat it, you've got to eat the meatloaf that I want to serve you. Which sometimes divided a lot of fans, um, especially in the, in, the, in the world of the special editions. Some people did like them, some people didn't. Now, I'm just going to ask you guys a question. What do you guys think of the special editions? Are they good? Are they meatloaf? Are they delicious meatloaf? Or, you know what, are they the meatloaf with the walnuts and the salsa in it? Anyways, love the podcast. Uh, love all you guys, and I can't wait to hear this episode and all the future episodes. Anyways, me and R2 are signing out from Scare. Have a good day, guys.
All right, it's time to pay the bills. Hey, I'm excited. We got a new sponsor on the podcast. Alex, why don't you tell the folks what we got? What's up, Star Wars fans? Today's episode of the Scarif Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Organically Wonderful. Organically Wonderful is a small business that is dedicated to bringing you 100% pure, organic, non-toxic beauty products like dry shampoo and body oil. And if you go to their website and check out the list of things that you can buy, and then when you buy them, you can type in Scuttle Buddies 15 and get 15% off your entire purchase. That's Scuttle Buddies 15 for 15% off. Head on down to organicallywonderful.com and say thank you to Organically Wonderful for bringing you the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast. And may the force be with you. And uh, Yoshi, you had mentioned Hayden Christensen. I've got one last uh, question for you. Uh, uh, how long did it take you to rotoscope Hayden into the scenes with Luke Skywalker on Tatooine uh, for the end of Rise of Skywalker? <laughs> Oh, oh man! <laughs> Thankfully, I can work on those shots. Um, although being able to—it's—it's it's, you know this touches on the last thing I'm going to bring up, but uh, before we got to go, but it, it is a double-edged sword because if they would have told me to do that, it would have sucked to know what I was doing. Yeah, but it would have been amazing to know that I'm working on the original trilogy in in a way that no one else my age could say they they they, they have. Yeah. And I got to tell you, like being a part of Star Wars now, being a part of the history of what's making it, it's a double edged sword because David here can tell you there was a day I was sitting at my desk and they assigned me a shot. And there's a spoiler in the shot for me as someone who I'm not going to say what it is, obviously, but but he hurt at my desk. I threw my headphones down and was like, damn it. And he goes, what? I'm like, I just found something out. And he goes, what? And he looks at my screen. He goes, oh. And I'm like, yeah. I, I, I mean, that's I gotta suck. Say, that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the nature of the job. Um, I remember, uh, I wasn't working on um, episode seven at the time, and I'm getting up, going to go grab a glass of water from the kitchen. I have to pass by other artists' uh, desks. And uh, I saw a clip from episode seven that I probably shouldn't have seen because the, the artist cyborg was- Jar Jar Binks. I'm kidding. <laughs> it was uh, it was uh, all I'll say it was uh, it was when uh, Solo and Ben had their final talk. Yeah. In episode seven, and the artist who was working on it was scrubbing back and like going back and forth in the shot because they were the ones dialing in the lightsaber. Yeah. And I just, ha- I, I just happened to be walking by all innocent, and I'm like, what the? Oh, what? no. Oh, oh, my man. God. Like, how are you going to spoil that? Man, I'm just getting a glass of water. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. The- That's the nature of the industry. You want to That's be a part hilarious. of it. You're going to see these things. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Like my, my wife and the, the, one of the few things I work with that my wife is actually a fan of is I, I was a I was an artist on The Walking Dead for a few seasons, and my wife and her family, her sister and everybody, they were big fans of The Walking Dead, and I was a fan 
and I stopped watching after a scene that I worked on involving, I don't know if you're a fan of The Walking Dead, but uh, a scene involving Glenn and Negan. Yeah, and basically I knew who died, and right then I'm like, you know what? I'm not watching the show anymore. It's <laughs> it's kind of kind of spoiled for me. That's funny. So I, I kind of stopped watching the show. Yeah, hey, yeah that's got to suck yeah. for you guys, especially when you're, you know, I you're mean, just, I mean, you're just thirsty way, and you just I, want I, to grab a I, glass of water. I just want to grab a glass of water. I ain't trying to like, you know, I'm just like, oh, okay. Anyway, you just you just get used to it. Yeah. But uh, I, that's not to say that there still isn't things that I don't know or Yoshi doesn't know. Sure. Hey Scara, this is Marisha and Andrew from Coruscant Radio Underground. We're here to talk today about the legacy of George Lucas. His influence on society is undeniable. You can't walk anywhere without seeing Star Wars something. But Andrew's been thinking a lot about his influence on technology. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Andrew? George Lucas was was a big innovator, really across the spectrum in the field of entertainment. And he really sometimes doesn't get a full credit for the things that he's done and the, yeah. the, the way he has pushed the industry forward. He goes to Fox to create this first movie and finds out that there are no dedicated special, special effects, effects yeah. facilities out there. They just, they don't exist. And so he builds ILM to make his movie. Man, I mean, ILM makes everything now. ILM is involved in all sorts of stuff. Everything, you know, so many big movies that ILM is involved mm-hmm. in. And it, it spawned Pixar, which was founded as the graphics group. And That's was eventually crazy. given a, you know, was eventually picked up and given money by Steve Jobs and, and became its own company. But it's it was birthed in Lucasfilm. Thomas Knoll, the creator of Photoshop, was an employee at ILM. He created Photoshop and he, con- he, he actually credits George Lucas for creating this environment that fostered the creation of Photoshop. I mean, ILM didn't create Photoshop, but right. it provided the environment that allowed Thomas Knoll to create Photoshop. Yeah. Uh, LucasArts, this great gaming company that pushed video game development forward and created many fantastic titles. And I still hate that that Disney shut LucasArts down. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that's something that eventually they'll bring back. The Knights of the Old Republic, that was a LucasArts game, wasn't it? Yeah, there it? were many, many older games, uh-huh. but all the old Star Wars games were LucasArts. Yep. You have uh, THX. Yes, which, speaking of makes everything. Well, in THX, what THX did was basically forced the hands of the cinema owners, the theater owners, and, and forced them to, to adapt and install Update. new uh, install new equipment. And what it did was created a uniform presentation of right. movies across the board. So when it didn't matter if you went to see a movie in a small town or in a big city, you 
even though the theater might not have been as nice, as far as what was on the screen and the sounds you got, you got a more consistent right. experience. That started with Return of the Jedi. Okay. It is when THX came into play and really standardized that theater experience. Mm-hmm. I've heard it said about Walt Disney that his genius was using other people's genius. And it seems like George Lucas at his best, um, when he's done, you know, some of his best work has been, that's kind of the epitome of that, that tradition. Yeah. Um, So many wonderful people he's brought on to work on these products from John Williams to Thomas Knoll to John Dykstra. All these people, Ben Burt, mm-hmm, I mean, all right. these people that he's brought on board to create this end product. It's it's all pretty amazing. And then the things that he's done, he's continued to push things forward. He pushed things forward with the prequels. Sometimes he pushed things maybe a little too far and maybe yeah. it became a little more sometimes about pushing filmmaking forward, sometimes at the expense of the movie he was making. Right. Um, and I think really when you talk about the things that he actually complained about, there's all this talk now about the things that he was upset about about mm-hmm. The Force Awakens. Story points and things. And the story, I think he was upset that they didn't use his story, that he had his treatments. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing that bothered him the most based on his comments after The Force Awakens was that he felt like it didn't push right. filmmaking forward. Forward, yeah. It wasn't about the story. It was that he wanted Star Wars to continue to be at the forefront of pushing filmmaking forward. Star Wars is for innovation, not just for entertainment, basically. Right. We owe a lot of things, but I mean, all these digital films that are being created, all the fantastic things Marvel's doing and and all these other companies are really built on a lot of the things that were done by George Lucas and ILM and Lucasfilm and, and... and Jar Jar Binks. So Where would digital entertainment being, be without Jar Jar Binks? <laughs> so in addition to being a fantastic storyteller, a fantastic world builder, he's also one of the biggest innovators ever in, yeah. in cinema. Well, I think that about does it. Thanks, Kara, for having us, and may the Force be with you. Greetings, Star Wars fans. This is Andrew from Coruscant Radio Underground. You're listening to the Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast. Remember, the Force will be with you, always. So there you have it, Scuttle Buddies. We could have talked for hours, but my phone battery died and uh, Skype just quit. So I was really bummed out, saddened, and angry. But uh, you know where anger leads, yes? Mm. So I want to thank Yoshi and David for taking the time out of their busy routine working on the rise of Skywalker and the Mandalorian to talk to me from Singapore. It's crunch time for them. Uh, They've got a couple of things to wrap up before December. And uh, we wish them all the best. We are looking forward to a trailer and obviously the movie. 
It's already tomorrow over there, by the way, but uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode that kicks off our George Lucas Appreciation Month October festivities. I didn't want to say goodbye to this episode without thanking Alex for that incredible voiceover intro on this episode. His silky voice truly belongs with us here amongst the stars. See what I did there? And if you haven't checked out Brad's crazy, but hey, maybe not so crazy theory about the Rise of Skywalker plotline and how he thinks Palpatine will make a triumphant return, head over to Scarif.show and weigh in. What do you think? I wouldn't call them spoilers, but uh, if Brad is right, it will melt your brain. So if you like our channel and content, please tell a friend, tag us on Twitter, and let us know that you told someone about the podcast. And thank you very, very much. We've got another episode in the works for you, continuing our George Lucas Appreciation Month and a bit more from Yoshi and David as we talk about Star Wars, the special editions. Until next time, remember, it's always sunny on Scarif. And that's the Scuttlebutt. <laughs>